you are looking at hard evidence that God saves today. You're looking at the proof that you need to show you that God still uses uh, people in this day and age to reach other people in this day and age. And knowing that is vital to our mission, vital to our evangelism, uh, vital to our hearts, to our courage in every respect. And I think we could do with some reminders of this. One of the questions I think we're not very good at asking each other uh, before or after services or when we get together for meals is, what's your story? How did God come to rescue you from where you were? Where were you? And where did you come? How did you come to this point of being a church family in Charlotte Chapel? Uh, this is why I've given the first five minutes of my sermon introduction to, um, to five different people who are going to share with us one-minute testimonies. Uh, basically following a little bit of a pattern. They're going to follow a pattern which says, I once was, fill in the blank, but now I'm, fill in the blank, all because they're going to fill in the blanks. So let's have Fiona up first. Fiona Coburn's going to come and share her testimony. Thank you. Um, so I once was living away from home. Um, I was at university. Um, I was quite unconvinced about Christianity, even though I'd been going to church like for years as a child and had Christian parents. Um, I preferred to live a life of pressurizing myself with high achievement and a good social life. But I didn't actually feel very fulfilled by this, and I'd often feel guilty without really knowing why. So now I'm someone who's convinced of the overwhelming love of God because Christ died for me on the cross and took the punishment for all my wrong thoughts, words and deeds. I know that he's a God who won't let us go when he has us in his hand and he is a rock in times of trouble when life seems overwhelming. There's nothing that can separate us from that love of God through Jesus and that's the biggest truth in my life. And this happened because during a hard time at university, I felt God clearly telling me to get back to church. Um, so I found Hebron Evangelical Church in Aberdeen. I did a couple of Alpha courses and basically convinced me of the truth in three main ways. Firstly, I understood that Christianity was not about keeping rules and being well-behaved to reach up to God, but it was about him reaching down to us through Jesus. Secondly, I think having the historical context and the evidence for Christ's resurrection helped me to believe that it's not a myth from an old book that actually happened. And finally, I understood that putting my faith in Jesus meant I would be welcomed uh, by God into a personal relationship, whatever I had done. Excellent. Thank you very much, Fiona. Gordon, do you want to come and share your story? And then Kat, you can come up next. Thank you. You're setting the timer. Um. <laughs> so, uh, this is actually going to be quite quick. Uh, <laughs> I was a disobedient, unenthused, and empty child, uh, but now the heart that once hated obedience has been replaced with one that loves to follow Jesus, and because Jesus conquered death, I've been given new life, and that life is to the full. Uh, this is all because of God having mercy on me uh, and opening my heart to hearing the gospel at Beavers, Cubs, and Scouts at Charlotte Chapel every Friday night. Um, and making me aware of my need to be forgiven uh, through reading a Bible that I was given at a group that no longer meets or it might have another name called Crusaders. Um, and yeah, it was reading uh, the part in Mark's Gospel where Jesus says, uh, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? And part of that was counting the cost. And so I knew to be a Christian required commitment. And uh, yeah, I, 
as I say, was, became aware of my need to, uh, to be forgiven because I'm a sinner, but Jesus paid it all. So Good. thanks. Cheers. Thank you. Kat, do you want to come up? And then we'll have Philip next. All right. Thank you. Um, so I guess you would say I was once just a good little girl um, in a Christian family, generally doing what she was told most of the time, going to church, believing in God, but probably not really understanding what it actually meant to be a Christian. Um, now I am a Christian. Um, I believe that God created me. I know that I'm a sinner, um, that Jesus died and rose again to take the punishment for those sins, um, and that being a Christian is not about doing what you're told but about accepting that sacrifice uh, and living for Jesus. Um, and I would say this is because of um, God teaching me the truth through um, my parents teaching me and my church, Sunday school and youth group, um, and also a Christian uh, holiday called Spring Harvest. Great. Thank you, Kat. Philip? Okay, so I once was someone who did wrong things and did not care that I was far short of God's standard of holiness. But now, though no way near perfect, I know that I am forgiven through faith in Jesus and desire to do what pleases him. All because of the faithful teaching of my parents and Sunday school teachers, I realised that though I could sometimes hide my sins from my parents and other people, I could not hide them from God. So at the age of 13 or 14, one night, knowing the wrongs I had done before God and the consequences of that sin, I confessed my sinfulness to him, by faith in Jesus, asked him to forgive me and come into my life and make me new. Excellent. Thank you. Brilliant. Is Kathy here? Oh, here. That's all right. Good. Okay. Well, hearing how God has transformed lives gives us great confidence to see that God is at work. If my voice breaks in a really kind of weird way tonight, don't laugh, okay? It's normally when I get quite passionate and raise my voice. It's meant to sound kind of a little bit more powerful than girly, but uh, it might sound a bit girly, but just bear with me tonight, please, okay? Because generally those bits are not the bits that you're supposed to laugh at, okay? <laughs> Hope you understand. Well, Acts 16, I think if you want to open that up again, is a passage in the Bible that really serves us much in the same way that these uh, brothers and sisters have served us with, uh, with testimonies tonight. They remind us of the amazing grace of God of taking people who were once far from God in a, in a sorry state, who are now brought near to God in fellowship with him incredibly, all because of, well, people sharing the gospel with him. But they've come from different backgrounds. This is an interesting thing we have here in Acts 16. We've got Paul, uh, the, Lord Jesus Christ, uh, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, reigning from heaven, ordering his church, expanding his church wonderfully. That's what he promised to do in Acts chapter 1. And he is positioning his people in just the right place to reach the people that he is calling to himself. And what we see in Acts 16 is that the gospel is for everybody. It's not just for a certain type of person. He is at, the, at work to save people, different sorts of people, from all sorts of different backgrounds and bringing them together into this body that is a church, his church. 
So if you want to take notes, it's quite simple tonight. We've got a couple of points uh, where we're looking at uh, the gospel is for the religious and the gospel is for indifferent types. So let's look at number one. Uh, the gospel is for religious types. We'll see this from verses 6 to 15. Here we have Lydia. Lydia is a wealthy uh, businesswoman. She's a dealer in purple. Verse 14 tells us she deals in high-end fashion. Uh, purple cloth was, she probably had her own label. You know, she, people like Abramovich and the Beckhams and even Princess Kate would wear her, her gear. You know, this purple clothing was for uh, people who had lots of money. She, if she was around today, she'd maybe have a huge house in Murrayfield, a holiday home in Marbella, that kind of thing. Okay? She's done very well for herself. But what we also see in this text is she's a very religious lady. Um, verse 13 tells us that she was at a riverside prayer meeting on the Sabbath day. And why is that? Well, verse 14 tells us she is a worshiper of God. Now, from that we can infer that she's rejected the many gods of Roman paganism, she maybe thinks the Jews are onto something with this monotheism thing, but it looks like she's gone from this, this paganism to, well, legalism. She's not a Jew, per se, but she's looking to the God of the Jews for meaning in life and for salvation. She's kind of like Cornelius in Acts 10. But she's not a Christian. She's not heard the gospel yet, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection for sinners. No, she is trying hard to live a good life. She thinks that being squeaky clean is what it's all about. So she is religious without being saved. Uh, she's moralistic. She's a nice person, a good person. But she's not right with God. And such were some of us, right? I mean, hands up if you were the I know I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person type before you came to meet Jesus. Come on, don't be shy, don't be shy. Religious types. Okay, quite a few of us. Quite a few of us. Uh, you were probably trying really hard to be morally upright, a religious person. You might have even called yourself a Christian thinking that you were. That's not really that uncommon. A hot of the press study of Christianity in Scotland by the Barna Research Group says that half of the people that we meet might well identify themselves in that kind of way, claiming to be Christian in some form. Now, only... 5% of the 51% who describe themselves in that way actually believe that Jesus died and rose again. So that clarifies the st statistic for us. They're not Christians, this 51%. They're Lydia's, okay? They're religious, moralistic people. They don't really believe the gospel. They have some loose religious connection to God and to Christianity. But what an opportunity that provides for us in these days, don't you think? So how can religious types hear the gospel? Well, really in the same way that Lydia did. How does she come to hear the gospel? Well, there are three main ways. One, God moves his people, the carriers of the gospel, into position. Verses 6 to 11, we see this. You see, God is very, very careful to ensure that Paul gets to Philippi. Did you notice that in our reading? Twice we read that Paul intended to go to some place other than Philippi. And in verses 6 and 7, we read that the Holy Spirit is the one who shut the door. And I wonder how you feel. How do you feel when a door shuts? When you feel convinced that you should be going in some particular direction, but it doesn't just work out for you. Well, this text tells us that we shouldn't necessarily panic. We shouldn't really think that God is working against us. 
Uh, he's not. Just look at for what he's doing next. For really, when one door shuts, another opens. I mean, missionary David Livingston knew that fine and well. He was a missionary who really, really wanted to go to China. Imagine if he gave up when God closed the door on that opportunity. When in fact, God wanted him in Africa where he'd have a huge impact for the gospel. Well, in verses 9 and 10, the Holy Spirit not only shuts the... Uh, in verses 6 and 7, the, sh- the Holy Spirit shuts the door on those places like Thyatira and others that uh, Paul was trying to go into, shuts the door to Asia, then opens this door in verses 9 and 10 to Europe. And Paul saw a vision, a man of Macedonia, that's effectively northern Greece, saying, come over, come over. And then what did he do? Paul concludes that God was the one who was telling them to go and preach the gospel to them, to proclaim the good news, that's what gospel means, of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, and reign. That's what he was calling them to do. That's what God always sends his people to do. And so this is the second thing that we see. God not only moves his people into position, God uses his people to share the gospel, to pass it on. In verse 13, Paul and his companions, we see, look for opportunities to share the gospel. In verse 13, uh, they went where they expected to find a place of prayer. They expected to find some religious types and intended to speak with them. Not about the weather, but about Jesus. And I wonder if we look for opportunities like that. They were intentional. I'm going to look at this a little bit more next week. But they were intentional, especially with people who are even interested in chatting about spiritual things. Perhaps that's dropped off our radar. But there are people like that out there. Uh, People who might be interested in having a spiritual conversation about spiritual things. People who are uh, interested even in what you believe and the way you practice that belief and somehow end up asking you questions about why you do what you do and why it's different from what they do. We need to be open to those particular opportunities. They might be likely, the kind of people who are likely to welcome an invitation to the church, whether it's for a regular Sunday or to a special event service. It doesn't really matter. We can bring people every week to church. Maybe they'll read a book with you and discuss it. They might read the word one-to-one with you as a resource we've used in the past. I'm reading the the word one-to-one with a religious type right now. Someone who thinks she's a Christian, but she's not. Well, God positions us in people's lives so that we can share the gospel with them openly, gladly. And God doesn't put us in people's lives, of course, primarily for our benefit. I think that we sometimes think that the relationships that we build up are intended to serve our own satisfaction or our own purposes. But it seems, well, the Bible would disagree with us that God has ulterior motives. Well, we do have the joy of building relationships with people, but God wants us to relate to one another, even as Christians, in a way that builds one another up. And with those who don't know Jesus, in a way that helps them come to know Jesus. And the people that people meet Jesus when we actually share the gospel is a vital point to recognize. That's what Paul did, of course. Verse 14 tells us that it was that, it was that that changed everything for Lydia. Paul's message, it says. She responded to Paul's message. 
And this message has been repeated again and again through the book of Acts. The good news, the gospel. Christ died for sinners, raised to life so that all who turn from their sin and trust in him can find forgiveness and new life in him. And when Lydia heard that, everything changed for her. Why is that? Well, is it because Paul absolutely nailed the two ways to live presentation? Is it because he was quite humorous in the way that he presented it? Because people like funny. Or was it because he was just really slick? He was the expert. You know, if Silas had shared the gospel with her, then things might not have turned out so well. No, absolutely not. Those are ridiculous ideas. The real reason why Lydia's life was changed, the reason why any life, even today, is changed by the gospel is because God opens people's hearts to respond to the gospel that we share. Verse 14, read it with me. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So how do we reach religious types? Well, God moves us into position, gives us relationships that are vital, platforms for sharing the gospel. Then we actually share the gospel. We speak gospel words and tell people who Jesus is, what he has done, and the necessary response that he calls for. And we do so trusting, thirdly, that God is the one who opens unbelieving hearts to respond to this gospel. You know, the human heart is really like a jar with a super tight lid. You know, you, know, you just can't open those things by yourself. And you can strain with face reddening might, but unless someone stronger comes along and opens it for you, well, it's, it's hopeless. But the human heart is so stubborn and obstinate in sin, it can't be opened by mere human hands. Oh, sure, we persuade, and we are clear. We've got to be crystal clear in the gospel that we share. But we can strain with face reddening might but unless the Lord Almighty opens the heart, no one will believe it. The good news for us is that God is pleased to open hearts to respond to the gospel words that we share, to the arguments that we make, uh, to the answers that we give for the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is pleased to do that. And he is so with us in our evangelism that we actually have no reason at all, at all, to be half-hearted, or to be reticent in speaking and in sharing this gospel. No, we actually have every reason to be bold, to be free, to be natural, and even confident of success when we share it. For God is the one who gives his truth and effectiveness in hearers that you and I cannot give. And that's a wonderful thing, a liberating thing. I mentioned earlier, I'm reading the Bible one-to-one with someone just now. This person is very religious-y. And this passage, again, as we go through passage after passage in John, this passage gives me great heart. It, it should do that for all of us and make us bold. And I long for the day when this particular person responds the way Lydia responds. Or she believes. She believes. How do we know she believes? Well, she's baptized. That's what believers do. Believers are baptized. Lydia went public with her faith and demonstrated openly to everybody by going under the water and up out of the water, probably by the riverside, her new allegiance to Christ. Her household was baptized, it says, which means that they were either with her or she went and told them immediately. 
And they themselves believed, I would doubt, for example, that Paul would baptize anyone who hadn't professed faith in Jesus Christ. But then she was not only baptized, she even evidenced her conversion by practicing hospitality. She invited Paul and his companions into her home and started to serve them with joy and, and made their judgment on her conversion the qualifier as to whether or not they would accept that invitation. Can you imagine that kind of thing? If you go to a B&B, no one ever says that, do they? No. Judge for yourself. No, what, what we see here is that she's been baptized and she's shown evidence of her conversion. Paul and Silas and his companions have said, yes, we believe you are. We'll gladly come and stay at your house. Her life has been changed and transformed in that, in that instant. And that's what happens. Once your heart is open, well, you're open to everything else. You're open, you open your home, you open your lives to others in, in, in fellowship in a church. And this is how we see, based on these three things, that God saves religious types like Lydia. He moves his people into position. He gives them opportunity to share the message and he takes it. They take it while at the same time, God is opening unbelieving hearts to respond to the message with faith and repentance. Now, I wonder if you're here tonight. I think there are so many religious types who are trying hard to live a good life before God and think that by doing so, that's how they earn salvation. Maybe that's you here tonight. I wonder if you've ever considered what that religious life says to Jesus concerning his cross. If we don't think the cross is sufficient to make us right with God, to take those who are far away from him and make us near, close. If we don't think that Christ's death alone is sufficient and that somehow we've got to add to it with our good works, we've not really understood what that death is all about. Nothing needs to be added. We come in faith to receive that great gift of salvation through him. We walk in obedience only in so far as we love the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a completely different motivation. I think this can be true of uh, a particular danger for those who are brought up in a church, who are brought up in Christian, a Christian family. Uh, day after day, week after week, you can go through the motions of, of Bible readings around the table in your home or Sunday school or all the youth groups at church and so on, and yet just go through the motions, never really giving your life to Christ. Thinking that just by doing that, you're right with him. Well, the Bible disagrees with you. It is only through faith that we are saved, by trusting in his blood. We must come to that point of conversion. And maybe you can pray tonight that the Lord would open your heart to believe the message that the Bible preaches concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. So, over to you. How will you reach religious types in this city, in your own network of friends? How will you do it? Well, we've just been given the instructions in here. We can trust in God's sovereignty. God positions his people in just the right place. Do you think that the people that you live beside are, are just, it's just a freak accident? Or is God in control? The people you work beside, the people you're going to sit beside in uni in the next couple of weeks, or in school, whatever, no, God is very careful, very particular. And I think this passage even shows that. 
What was the place that Paul was barred from going into in the first place, do you remember? Thyatira. Yeah, where was Lydia from? Thyatira. God's clever. And we forget just how careful he is in his planning. And sometimes we live our lives just like he's got his hands off the wheel, but he has not. The people that are in our lives that we are relating to, sharing life with, who don't know him, well, these are the ones that he wants us to reach. We can intentionally seek for opportunities to share the gospel as well. Sometimes it's so easy just to shrink back from that conversation or refuse to take a conversation through the gears. I was at a a cramming neighbor's picnic yesterday in the park. It was wonderful. It was, it was fun, it was fun. The kids were there and all the groups were there and, and so on. And there was a bunch of people uh, and, and there were a bunch of uh, guys in particular that I hadn't met before from streets round about where I live. And I, could, I knew the temptation in my heart straight away. I, was, I knew the temptation to just not say anything or not give any kind of hint that, that I'm a Christian and I love Jesus, you know, and, and I, I, I prayed God, forgive me for that and help me be honest. And the first guy that I bumped into said, so what do you do? It's, it's kind of easy for me because it opens it up. But, but I, I, well, I, and then that, the next thing that we say is actually quite important. Well, I'm a minister. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian pastor and I tell people uh, week in, week out, day after day, that Jesus died and rose again so that they can be forgiven of their sin. And he said, oh, <laughs> I was like, that's all right. Okay, that's okay. And when we talked about it a little bit more, and then about an hour later, it came up in conversation again. There was a bit, a bit more chat. So uh, is your church kind of full of uh, old people? You know, maybe there's a lot of old people. Uh, but that's okay. But there's a lot of young people too. And that's okay. Um, you know, we're a church that's made up of lots of different people. Oh, how many do you get? 50, 60? <laughs> A bit more than that. Yeah. No, how many? Well, we get about 600 on a Sunday morning. What? 600? That was a squeak. 600? <laughs> it's supposed to be deep. Uh, and, 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 you know, just taking these opportunities. Now, you can imagine in your own life in the past week, maybe one, two, maybe five opportunities have passed by. And we should confess that before our God. Because for the one that I shared, there are many that even I don't. But we need to be ready and remind ourselves in those moments. Grab some fighter verses, memory verses that will work for us to remind us that God is sovereign in this. Actually, this person, what? This person's eternity matters way more than my reputation in this home, in Cramond. Who cares? You know? This matters. And actually, God has promised to open hearts. I'm called to be faithful just in sharing the message. And therefore, that's what we should do. So trust in God's sovereignty. Seek for opportunities to share the gospel and actually share that gospel. And meet with people. That's the third thing. Meet with people in your life who are open to that spiritual chat. Maybe you know religious types. You know, actually, they do ask questions about the church. They are interested and so on. Well, Meet with them for coffee. Explore that with them. Find gentle ways of encouraging them to look at the Bible whenever they talk about things that clearly grate 
with it. And who knows what opportunities God will bring. Well, that's Lydia's story. That's how we can share the gospel with religious-y, moralistic types. What about the non-religious-y types? What about the indifferent types? How does God save people like that? Well, this is where the story of the jailer comes in. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, the story of the jailer, we find here in verses 16 to 40, um, the gospel for indifferent types. He's a jailer. Now, Philippi was a Roman colony, and they often gave prison security jobs to retired Roman soldiers, guys who just weren't quite fit for the field. Now, whether this guy was a soldier or not, we don't know. It was a demanding job anyway. If he didn't do it right, it would cost him dearly. Um, if prisoners escaped, you see, you were executed. Um, you don't exactly have that in Group 4 security uh, contracts. But Lydia, uh, of course, was someone who was religious at the place of prayer. Where do we find this guy? Well, certainly not at a place of prayer. No, he's, he's not looking for God. He's busy at work, it seems. He's immersed in the idolatry of his day and either sees no need for Jesus or hasn't really heard about Jesus. And such were some of us before we came to believe the gospel. How many of us were in that? I've, I don't have any need for Jesus and haven't really heard about Jesus. In fact, if you talk to me about Jesus, I think it's just a story. How many of us? Put your hand up if you were in that kind of camp. Yeah, that was my story. I, didn't, I thought it was like Aesop's fable. You know, I thought it was some kind of Star Wars story. But, but here we have this jailer. Like us, maybe having no clue that there was one God, our lives, the way we were living them were making us his enemies. Uh, we didn't really know that we needed saving. All that mattered to us was that maybe people liked us and respected us. Or actually, as long as people didn't tell us that what we were doing was wrong and we could just get on with living our lives the way we want to live it in our kind of self-gratifying ways. Well, that's not an uncommon view either. The same Barner research that I referred to earlier says that around 70% of 18 to 24-year-olds aren't interested in religion although they are open to having some conversations about it. And 61% of adults in Scotland don't think that faith is very important nowadays at all. How do we reach these people? Well, not surprisingly, we see God's sovereignty at work again. That's one of the first things. God moves his people into position again, into a position where they have an opportunity to share the gospel. This time, though, it's through suffering. It all starts with a slave girl in verses 16 to 18. In verse 16 says, Paul was hounded for a few days by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Now, that's a really sad situation. She's possessed by evil. It controls her in that regard, and she's in possession even of men who exploit her. It's a terrible situation. Now, she was shouting out what seemed to be good theology. But Paul was really troubled by her. Why was that? Well, it's hard to say. Commentators try and come up with a raft of reasons. I think there are really only two good reasons. One, I think she was maybe muddying the gospel waters that Paul was proclaiming. So the Greek god Apollo, for example, was sometimes referred to as the most high God. And what's more, uh, in 
in the verse here where she says that these guys are come proclaiming the way of salvation, there's not actually a definite article there in the Greek, so it's really a way of salvation which definitely muddles, muddies the waters. This is just maybe one way of coming to know God. No, no, no. That's not the Christian message. Or secondly, maybe it was just the fact that her whole situation was so sad that it just grieved Paul. Demonic work is so anti-God that it broke his heart to see her so oppressed. And in any case, Jesus has so filled his church, his people with the Holy Spirit, that they're the ones who are to proclaim the good news, not the demons. In any case, Paul is so troubled that he commands the demon to come out in Jesus' name, and it does. She is freed. Now, some people argue over whether or not this girl is converted. Some would say this is a three-conversion passage, but Scripture is silent over whether or not she actually came to believe in Jesus, and therefore so should I be. I don't actually think that's what Luke is trying to tell us about in this passage anyway. I mean, if you follow his lead as the narrator, we find that Luke tells us more about the fury of her owners than what happens to the girl next. They're furious. They don't rejoice in her liberation. They've lost an income. They blame Paul. There's no story of baptism or anything like that. But there is with Lydia and the jailer. Anyway, as a result, Paul and his team are charged dragged to the marketplace, flogged, thrown into prison, and entered the jailer. Voila. God has Paul right where he wants him. In stocks. Uh, his back torn from flogging. Now you might say, wow, did God, did he really have to go through all that just to meet the jailer? I mean, couldn't God have chosen another way? Well, yes, he could have. But in his wisdom, God chose to break into the life of an idolatrous, indifferent unbeliever by showing him how God's people act when they suffer. And that's the second thing. God uses the song of his suffering people to add to the testimony of their message. He, he shows the jailer what it means when God's people suffer well. Now, we are people who try to avoid suffering as best we can. In fact, suffering for the gospel is even for the gospel, is something that maybe scares us a little bit. But how we respond to suffering is really one of the key things in our lives that makes the gospel believable. Whether it's loving the school bullies who rip us for what we believe, or the mums at the school gate who tell the kids not to play with yours, or the way we respond to the oncologist report in the cancer ward, maybe how you cope with a dreadful job situation. How we respond makes a difference in the lives of those around us as to how willing they are to listen to our gospel words and responding well in suffering with joy, even as we see in this passage, with a song. Their backs are in shreds. And they're singing songs of praise to God. The prisoners are listening. And maybe the prisoners, maybe the jailers just thinking, what have they got that I haven't got? That they can take it like this. Or responding with faith and trust might well make some of our unbelieving friends come ask, out and ask, how do you cope so well when you suffer like this? It's important. It's an opportunity. Now, please, please don't think that I'm suggesting that we go out looking for suffering. No. Uh, suffering in our lives will come in heavy doses as it is, but let's pray for one another that we might suffer well, really well. So that even our hardship will be worth it 
if one that we love or even a complete stranger is saved from hell. At the very least, we should live the kind of life that makes people want to ask us, uh, want to talk to us about salvation when they experience a crisis, which is exactly what happened to the jailer. God uses here an event, really a crisis, to shake the jailer out of his sleepy indifference. Did you notice God sends a very precise earthquake? The foundations shake, but the doors open and the chains fall off. That's very precise, isn't it? The jailer thinks that everyone's escaped, but Paul reassures him. And the jailer must have been absolutely astounded at this. These guys have a joy so deep that even when their backs are in strips, that joy remained. And these guys have an integrity like nothing he's ever seen. Even when the doors are open, they remain. Maybe their message is true. Who knows what was going through this jailer's head at this time. But God's messengers get this opportunity to share the gospel when in verse 29, the jailer came trembling before Paul and Silas and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a question. What a question. It deserves a a good question like that. deserves a straight answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household, came the reply. Are you ready to answer a question like that with a reply like that? That's the summary statement, really, that Paul offers of the gospel. He gives him his bulletin header. This is what it's all about. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And then he has the opportunity to to share the gospel with with him more fully. They spoke the word of the Lord to him, to the jailer, and to all the others in his house. What was it this time? Well, it was the middle of the night. They were listening to Paul preach the gospel. He responded, the, the jailer responded in the exact same way that Lydia responded. He demonstrated his faith by being baptized. He went public with his faith. And so did his household. And it's standard, that response, by the way. You believe, you are baptized. And here we find this one who had his sins washed away, then demonstrating the fruit of his conversion. He is washing his prisoners' wounds. He has been washed, so he washes. And he fed them. And it says he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Isn't that incredible? And so God starts planting a church in a pagan colony called Philippi because he had positioned his people very carefully to share the gospel with those who'd be willing to hear it. And the Lord opened the hearts of Lydia and her household and a jailer and his household, two very different sets of people and would bring them together to be a church through the gospel. It's a glorious thing to see. Even non-religious, indifferent people, people who have no idea that they need the gospel, no idea that they need to be saved from anything, can come to hear it and be saved. And do we remember that? So over to you. What are you going to do this week? Well, again, similar to the application as it was in in the story of Lydia, uh, we can trust in God's sovereignty. We've covered that. The second thing, we can suffer well. 
we can pray and support one another that we might offer a bold testimony in the face of hardship and difficulty, even the things that makes us cry waterfalls, that God is good and Christ is worthy of our praise. And we can thirdly be ready, ready to share the gospel as Paul was, to have a, a verse in mind or a certain statement that you can share. People ask you that question. If you've got a picnic with your neighbors or if you're out with a friend over coffee, you know what you're going to say. What is the gospel? Well, it's that Christ died for your sins. And that he rose again so you can have new life. Do you know what I mean when I say those things? Or would you like me to explain them to you, bit by bit? Do we have a bulletin header that we know that we can share with people to help them think? And are we ready to share the gospel? And maybe when we do that, we'll see more and more people coming to say, I once was fill in the blank. But now I'm fill in the blank. All because, did you notice that in the pattern of brothers and sisters who shared earlier? I was once lost. I was once, everything they described was not Christianity. A wrong view of God in many respects, or a complete disregard of his will and his ways. And then he brought them to a knowledge of himself where he changed them through people who were willing to serve them and love them by sharing the gospel with them. I pray that God would use each and every one of us this week to do that with others and that we might trust in his sovereignty as we speak. Let's take a few seconds to bow our heads and